Informing America's farmers and ranchers. It's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. And hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Hope you're having a good day. Thanks for spending some time with us. A lot happened yesterday. There were a lot of things going on. We're going to get updates today. Um, when it comes to trade, of course, uh, President's still talking about the more tariffs on China. Uh, we're still waiting for more word on NAFTA. We'll get updates and all that with Dave Salmonson with the American Farm Bureau Federation. There was some very interesting uh, testimony yesterday in a hearing by Acting EPA Administrator Andrew Wheeler and a lot of discussion about RFS and E15 sales. And also yesterday, uh, EPA requested public comments on how high-octane fuels could actually facilitate engine efficiency improvements and reduced emissions under the fuel economy and tailpipe greenhouse gas standards for light-duty automobiles. This, this is a big issue as well. Brian Jennings, CEO of the American Coalition for Ethanol, will be joining us to talk about all that. Big day yesterday, a lot happening on uh, renewable fuels. And also was interesting yesterday in the Senate, Senator Mike Lee, a Republican from Utah, proposed an amendment that would basically would have blocked FDA's efforts to uh, crack down on uh, how to use the term milk in marketing plant-based alternatives. This has, of course, been a big issue for the dairy industry. And just as FDA comes out and says they're fine, they're going to start enforcing the rules, then along comes this uh, amendment by Senator Lee that would kind of uh, uh, sidetracked all that. But it was defeated. The amendment was defeated. We'll get reaction from Chris Galen with the National Milk Producers Federation coming up later on today's program. But I want to start with the farm bill. Phil Brasher with uh, AgriPulse joins us. Phil, thanks for joining us. Uh, I guess yeah, we finally know... Finally know the Senate conferees, right? Yes, we do. Uh, we have nine of them, five uh, Republicans and four Democrats. Uh, so we can, you know, it should be it should be clear to our listeners that uh, uh, work has been going on on the uh, final farm bill for the last few weeks, uh, and that will continue. But we now know the names of the uh, nine conferees on the Senate side. Anybody catch your eye there as far as who was chosen? Uh, not too many surprises. Uh, I think the very uh, some of the very important ones to uh, take note of are number one by far and away. That's the majority Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell. He's actually appointed himself to the conference committee. Uh, it just underscores uh, what a high priority he's putting on this legislation and his personal interest. Uh, we were told several weeks ago that uh, not only was he going to be on the conference committee, but he was going to be an active participant. Uh, it's also worth noting uh, that uh, the Democrats included Heidi Heitkamp uh, from North Dakota, who's uh, facing a tough uh, re-election race. She's one of only four Democrats on the conference committee from the Senate side. Another interesting one, new one uh, this time around, is Joni Ernst from uh, Iowa. Uh, she's got a particular interest in some of the conservation programs, uh, conservation stewardship program, uh, which she's uh, worked to get some provisions in the Senate bill to uh, to uh, beef that up. Well, you mentioned North Dakota. North Dakota is very well represented on this uh, conference committee. They are highly unusual. It states entire congressional delegation. All three members are on the conference committee. I can't find. I've been digging back. I can't find an instance where that is, where that has happened. Highly unusual. 
All right, so now the conferees are named. It moves on, you know, officially now to conference committee. Uh, what's the next step? As you said, work's already going on, has been going on behind the scenes. I guess that will continue. Yeah, I actually think the most important event this week on the Farm Bill happened on Tuesday uh, at the uh, regular news, Tuesday afternoon news conference that uh, Majority Leader Mitch McConnell has. He always starts out with a message of uh, the Senate Republican priorities, and he made the statement that uh, he wanted a final farm bill, a conference report, ready for the House and Senate to vote on shortly after Labor Day. And that was his exact word, shortly after Labor Day. That's an incredibly quick timetable, but it just tells you what a priority he's putting on getting this bill done. And I, it was interesting, the reaction from Chairman Roberts and Ranking Member uh, uh, Debbie Stabenow. Uh, it's kind of like, uh, okay, <laughs> sounds good, but uh, it's, it's going to be tough to do, right? That's exactly, that's exactly. Chairman Roberts was actually a little confused when we first asked him about it, just shortly after the, the committee had a, had a quick session. Uh, to vote on uh, a pair of nominees, and uh, Chairman Roberts was a little, was really caught uh, by surprise uh, by the question. He said they would, they wanted to have it as soon as possible, and uh, uh, the ranking Democrat, uh, Debbie Stabenow, said, uh, we'll get it as quickly as we can. But uh, uh, this really puts uh, the onus on the House Republicans, too, because, you know, they've been insisting on these work requirements and the food stamp program, and... Uh, you know, there's not going to be a lot of time to negotiate that if we're really going to have this uh, have this bill ready for the House and Senate in September. It, it's going to be fascinating how this plays out. I mean, obviously yeah. the pressures they're going to be on to get this done quickly. Obviously, there's also pressure too on resolving this issue on the uh, SNAP program and work requirements. Most people feel the bill is going to look more like the Senate version than the House. So that, but the House side, they're going to House Republicans, they're going to want to save face in this somehow they're not going to want to give up on everything they've pushed for so that that creates an interesting dynamic yeah they're going to want something uh to show for all the work they put into this on the other hand i'll have to say i have never heard mitch mcconnell say that work requirements were a priority for him uh i've heard the leadership uh people in the leadership over in the house republican side saying you know well these these work rules would really help uh uh, Senate Republicans in uh, races in November. Never heard that from uh, McConnell. McConnell's presence on there and his uh, off-stated uh, desire to get this thing done, uh, that really kind of amps everything up, doesn't it? I mean, it, it makes a big difference, oh. him being on there. Oh, without question. It makes all the difference in the world. Um, and when Mitch McConnell makes something uh, a priority like this, he usually gets it. And isn't it somewhat unusual for the uh, Senate Majority Leader to be this actively involved in a farm bill? Uh, hi, Majority Leader, if you go back to a party leader, uh, certainly Tom Daschle, when he was a Democratic right. leader, he was very interested. He was very interested in ag policy. Period. Of course, he was from South Dakota. You would expect that. But Daschle had a particular passion for uh, for for ag policy, so he was certainly involved. Uh, but to have a uh, to have somebody with uh, doing what Mitch McConnell has as a majority leader, uh, pretty unusual. 
Of course, he of has course, a vested Bob interest. Dole, going back to Bob Dole, right. was too interested in agriculture. Right. But McConnell has a vested interest. He wants that, that hemp provision get passed, doesn't he? Yes, he does. I think beyond that, he sees this as helping Republicans in the fall and in mm-hmm. the uh, Senate races. Yeah, big issue for sure. Uh, they need to show a win for agriculture before those elections. All right, Philip, yeah, thanks as always. Okay. Take care. Philip Brasher with uh, AgriPulse, the very latest on the Farm Bill. Can they get it done uh, as quickly as Senate Majority Leader McConnell wants? We will we'll see. Well, coming up next, we're going to talk trade. Are we getting closer to a U.S.-Mexico deal? What about what's going on with China? Dave Salmonson with the American Farm Bureau Federation joins us next to talk trade on AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Most of us like to be out in the sun. That's why sunscreen and other safety measures are key to protecting your skin from aging and cancer. The FDA recommends using a sunscreen with a sun protection factor, or SPF, of 15 or higher. Also, look for broad spectrum on the label. That means both harmful ultraviolet A and B rays are blocked. UVA rays age the skin, UVB rays burn, and both cause cancer. But the perfect sunscreen doesn't count if you use it wrong. Don't need sunscreen on a cloudy day? Wrong. 80% of UV rays still get through the haze. Only use sunscreen at the beach? Nope. Anytime you're outside, UV rays attack the skin, so you need protection. And you have to reapply sunscreen every two hours. Remember, SPF plus broad spectrum equal healthy fun in the sun. Visit www.fda.gov sunscreen for more information. A message from the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. We paid less for our Craftmatic today than we did 20 years ago. If you're still searching for the perfect solution to a good night's sleep, call now for prices and free information on today's Craftmatic adjustable beds. And then decide when you see how little they cost. Rated number one by consumers nationwide on ConsumerAffairs.com. Craftmatic beds come in all mattress types, including cool gel memory foam for up to 50% less than today's leading memory foam brand. Enjoy temporary relief of low back pain, poor circulation, nighttime heart for a mild arthritis. You'll sleep better in a Craftmatic adjustable bed. So if you're still searching for the perfect solution to a good night's sleep, call now for prices and information. And then decide when you see how little they cost. Discover Craftmatic for less, up to 50% less than today's leading memory foam brand. Call 1-800-318-7903. That's 1-800-318-7903. 1-800-318-7903. Call now. Hello, I'm Mike Lindell, the inventor of my pillow. And like all of you out there, I had problems sleeping. Pillows would go flat. I would flip-flop all night long. I'd wake up with a sore neck or maybe a headache, or I'd feel like I needed a nap even though I slept eight hours. Well, when I invented my pillow, I wanted it so you could adjust the patented fill to give you the exact support you need as an individual, regardless of sleep position. My pillow will get you into that deep REM sleep faster, and you will stay there longer. It's not how much time we spend in bed. It's how much of that quality sleep we get. I do all my own manufacturing in my home state of Minnesota. Minnesota. I have a 10-year warranty, and you can wash and dry my pillow, and here's my best offer ever. That's right. Get 50% off the four-pack of two premium MyPillows and two go-anywhere pillows. To order, go to MyPillow.com or call 800-871-7280 and use promo code FARM11. Get 50% off the four-pack of two premium pillows and two go-anywhere pillows. Call 800-871-7280 or go to MyPillow.com and use promo code FARM11. 
Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. All right, let's try to update the trade situation with NAFTA, with the EU, with China. Let's bring in Dave Salmonson, Senior Director of Congressional Relations for the American Farm Bureau Federation. Dave, these are busy times. Well, they certainly are. Lots of uh, balls in the air, lots of issues going on uh, right on top of each other. Um, We all hope they come to some uh, good results for U.S. agriculture. Well, let's start with NAFTA. Uh, The Mexican economy minister in Washington today to talk with U.S. Trade Representative Robert Lighthizer. Um, That comes as we hear about possible a possible deal over automotive rules of origin Uh, that seemingly is the big sticking point in getting something done with Mexico so is that really what's going to happen we may get a deal with Mexico then they hope that puts pressure on Canada to come into the fold that's uh, that's what we're hearing right now and of course as you mentioned the key to that is the auto rules that again was the biggest issue in all this NAFTA rediscussion renegotiation if they can get that solved between the U.S. and Mexico, come to an agreement on that, then they can proceed to the other issues. That, that really is the key to unlock trying to get to an overall agreement. And, all. and there's a lot of other issues remaining. It's tough issues, but they really can't go anywhere until they get that one done. As you said, Canada has not been involved this week. This has been a U.S.-Mexico discussion. And, and it's primarily the autos is primarily with U.S. and Mexico. Some with Canada, of course, but it really is mostly a U.S.-Mexico issue. They get past that, then maybe Canada can come in and they can solve some of the rest and uh, move NAFTA along. I mean, is what do you think of that strategy? I mean, we keep hearing that the Mexico and Canada want a trilateral deal. So does Mexico then go to, if this gets worked out between Mexico and U.S., Mexico goes to Canada and, and says, come on in, or let's work this out so we can get back yeah. to all three countries? Yeah, I, I, I think what they're trying to do is certainly there's some pressure on some of these issues. Uh, at, all, at the end of the day, the way this is set up, it has to be a NAFTA deal between the three countries because that's the legal structure that this was organized under. That's the way it has to be sent to Congress whenever there's an ultimate agreement uh, for passage. Um, but they can negotiate in the negotiating process. You can deal with each country individually on certain issues and then come together at the end. And I think that's where they are now. I foresee, you know, there may be an agreement in principle between the U.S. and Mexico, but then they have to get to the final real legal end, and that's still going to take some time. So I just view this as a part of the overall process. Now, another part of this, the U.S. dairy industry is wanting the Trump administration to work on provisions in a new deal that would kind of undo the potential loss of business from the free trade agreement signed between the European Union and Mexico. Um, The National Milk Producers Federation and other dairy groups calling for U.S. negotiators to make neutralizing Europe's attacks on U.S. dairy products a NAFTA goal. Uh, How much does that complicate the the negotiations? Yeah, this, of course, this issue, part of which is that is the uh, geographic indications issue is something that the U.S. and the EU have been going back and forth on for years. you got some uh, GIs into Canada. They put them even more into the Mexico agreement. Um, so it's something that now they say it new, but it was always an issue that was out there. It wasn't a prominent issue, but that's an issue that's now going to be involved in the NAFTA talks. I think uh, before they can finish up, 
Um, there will be discussion on that. How do we deal with that? Of course, Gary Industries brought that forward. Of course, they have their other issues with Canada. Um, you know, we didn't really think we had as much in the way of dairy issues with Mexico just within NAFTA. We have them now because of Mexico retaliating against the steel tariffs, included some uh, U.S. dairy products for, uh, for tariffs. But now we're getting this uh, geographic indications issue is coming up. And, uh, uh, you know, it's like within NAFTA, when you solve some issues, as the time goes by, other ones come to the fore. And I think that's something that will also have to be worked out before we can say we've dealt with uh, all the needed NAFTA issues for agriculture. It gets complicated, and, you know, one, it's a domino effect. And the geographic indicators situation, that's basically Europe claiming they they own the the names to a lot of different uh, dairy products, uh, cheese products, uh, and that, uh, yeah. that they have them. It's mostly and, uh, around cheeses. Feta, yeah. they've claimed, you know, nobody else can use feta. Parmesan, there's fights back and forth of who can use that. And there's Asiago, there's several of these names. And uh, this was a big issue in the TTIP uh, discussions, U.S. Ag with EU, which may in some form potentially get redone, re-energized, because uh, of discussions the uh, Trump administration had with the EU folks uh, just last week. Um, and that'll be an issue that'll be involved in those. So it seems everywhere we go on trade, if we're trading dairy products, we're going to talk about the uh, geographic indications issue. We're talking with Dave Salmonson with the American Farm Bureau Federation. Well, that leads us into the U.S.-EU talks. Uh, everyone got excited. They were going to buy EU going to buy all these more soybeans. And then we started hearing things like, well, they were going to buy probably those soybeans anyway because of our low price. And, and now EU not really wanting to talk. A lot of ag issues that have been pop- problematic in the past. Are we really going to see a breakthrough here? What do you think, Dave? Well, I think they put a lot of stuff out there, and most of what I took away from the discussions last week was if they had any deal, they had a deal to talk more and set up future negotiations. Even the talk on the steel and aluminum tariffs and the retaliation was they really didn't solve that issue yet. They have to talk some more. Uh, The auto tariffs issue, you could say, well, we're not going to put auto tariffs on you. But that process of having that ready to go here in the U.S. has barely started. That would be, you know, a month, a couple months away. So that was probably a positive thing. They were saying, you know, we're not going to do new tariffs. Well, they haven't solved the old ones. As far as future negotiations, yeah, it was kind of glaring that they had a list of issues they wanted if, again, they go ahead. Didn't include agriculture. Well, the EU has been trying to push ag to the side uh, a lot of times because it's it's tough for them. They don't want to have to make concessions. Uh, we're the demander there. We want them to change their uh, restrictive laws that keep a lot of our beef and pork and chicken out of Europe. And we want them to improve their GMO uh, approval process. We want to deal with this geographic indications issue. Not a lot of things that you really want to talk about, um, but I think, you know, within the administration, they understand why you need to do it. The ag industry is going to keep pushing it. And if this discussion followed the Trade Promotion Authority law, if it did that, come to an agreement that Congress has to deal with, then they have to deal with all the agriculture-related negotiating objectives that are in that law. So, you know, this is a starting point. If this gets serious, I would think they're just going to be, we're going to have to deal with these ag issues. On soybeans, yeah, it was a good gesture and a good signal for the EU commissioner to say we're going to do more soybeans. But the reality of the soybean trade was, as you said, they were buying more and will continue to buy more. They get a good price. Um, there's more competition from China for Brazil soybeans. 
and there's more U.S. product available, then you know they'll turn to the U.S. to fulfill their soybean needs. I mean, we sell we sell a lot to them already. Uh, we expect to sell more. You know, while I understand it's always good when two sides in a dispute are talking, that gives you hope that something's going to get worked out. But it seems like uh, we're, we, all of us in the ag community, the markets, everyone is so anxious for good news that, boy, the least little bit of a rumor or the chance of something good, everyone just kind of overreacts until we, and instead of waiting to see if anything substantive is really there. And I think we did that on the USEU deal. We do it with China. They, if they're going to talk, we get excited, and uh, everyone thinks it's going to be worked out. Then all of a sudden you get into the, you know, the real uh, meat of it, and we find out we're still a long ways apart. And now the, the Trump administration is still considering whether it – Put another two hundred billion dollars worth of uh, uh, tariffs on China's uh, Chinese goods, a twenty-five percent tariff. That's that would be even bigger than the ten percent initially proposed. So this could get worse rather than better in the short term. Yeah, the Trump administration um, keeps uh, ramping the pressure, and that's what this is about. Again, that putting tariffs on two hundred billion dollars more of Chinese imports. That has a, a process that has to go through comments and hearing all that all that stuff. That's underway, but it's nowhere near the end of that. That's going to take a few more months. Um, so the president puts out there, well, they initially proposed a 10 percent tariff. Well, maybe we'll go to 25 percent. Again, put more pressure on China, not just to get them to the negotiating table, but for ready to make some uh, deals and uh, that the U.S. wants. So they are playing that game. They, uh, you might say, they up the stakes as time goes by. Um, yeah, we want, and we keep pushing in ag, and we want, you know, we want to have continuity and certainty in trade. We'd like you to get these things settled, but the administration keeps pushing for more and see, see what pressure will bring. And that's, uh, that's over time. So uh, uh, we'll all have to watch this uh, day by day, but keep in view that for some of these things, it's going to take some time for them to work out. All right, Dave. Thanks for the update. Okay. Thanks for calling. Take care. Dave Salmonson, Senior Director, Congressional Relations for the American Farm Bureau Federation. Well, little by little, we get more insight into how Andrew Wheeler at EPA plans to handle the RFS and E15 and things like that. Another hearing yesterday in Washington, D.C., very revealing. And then uh, we also have some um, things to talk about when it comes to CAFE standards, an announcement there by EPA looking for public comments. So a lot to talk about with our next guest, Brian Jennings with the American Coalition for Ethanol. Stay with us. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. We're excited to explore the topics that make a difference to agriculture. The Farm Bill, immigration reform, reducing regulations, trade, new technology, as well as infrastructure and health care. Through the year, Adams on Agriculture will originate on location from several major national meetings and events. Subscribe to the show's podcast at AmericanAgNetwork.com. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. Thousands of people contact InventHelp monthly about their invention or new product. Do you think companies would be interested in your idea? Do you want to try to get a patent? Call InventHelp now. Best of all, the call and information are free. InventHelp keeps your idea confidential, explaining every step of the invention process. Join people just like you who made the call to InventHelp. You have nothing to lose. The call and the information are free. Call 800-352-1402. That's 800-352-1402. 
Time for a market check here on Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. U.S. stocks opening lower Thursday amid heightened concerns over the escalating trade dispute between the U.S. and China. Soybean futures retreating from the recent highs as well. Late in Wednesday's session, it was reported that the U.S. was indeed due to go ahead with 25% tariffs on $200 billion worth of goods from China. The escalation capping off a wild couple of days for the soybean market, which rallied on Tuesday on reports that American and Chinese officials were looking into resuming negotiations over trade. Soybeans had risen 3% in response on bets that tensions were cooling before pulling back. Early on this Thursday session, an hour into the trading day, a dime lower in soybeans, three higher in corn, and the wheat futures rallying five to nine cents higher. European wheat prices now at the best level in four years. That's having a bullish influence on all three wheat classes here in the U.S. At the same time, the winter wheat harvest in the U.S. moving westward and spring wheat crops are encountering hot and dry conditions. Red flag warnings across Montana and eastern Washington going along with expanding drought in the Pacific Northwest. For livestock at the American Cattle Futures, we are backpedaling on a Thursday. Dollar, dollar twenty lower in feeder cattle, twenty-five to sixty-five cents lower in live cattle. Cash cattle bids seen renewed right around one ten. Asking prices though around one fifteen in the South. In lean hog futures, we're trending fifty-seven to a dollar fifteen lower. Cash hogs at the upper Midwest terminals on a Thursday being called a buck or two lower. Outside markets on Wall Street, the Dow is down 97, NASDAQ composite down 2, the S&P 500 down 5, September crude oil in New York up 39 cents. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture, presented by the American Ag Network. I'm Rusty Halverson. All right, guys, we're ready for our four-season sunroom, and Daddy's going to get a rec room with refreshments. Oh, no, we'll be sleeping under the stars. Mom, what about the runway? You know, the fun. Nice try, little bro. It's a gym, my gym. Hey, Grandma's getting her Four Seasons garden room, weather tight and still like being outdoors. Maybe a living room. Oh, no, wait, a family hub. Yeah. Yeah. No matter what the budget, the season, or the climate, Four Seasons Sunrooms let you and your family enjoy the outdoors inside. Call now to hear more about these great offers from the premier manufacturer of sunrooms since 1975. More reasons for Four Seasons Now. To find out more, call toll-free 800-988-4477. That's 800-988-4477. Call 800-988-4477 today. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. A lot to talk about with Brian Jennings, CEO of the American Coalition for Ethanol. Brian, thanks for joining us. Uh, I thought yesterday's hearing, uh, as we heard from uh, Interim EPA Administrator Andrew Wheeler, it kind of lifted the curtain or get, gave us a little peek behind the curtain at EPA on how they handle issues like, uh, you know, refinery waivers and things with the RFS. We may not like what we see behind that curtain, but I think we're getting a little more of a look back behind that curtain. Mike, I couldn't agree more with you. I think what we're going to find in acting Administrator Wheeler is much more honesty and much more transparency about how they determine some of these exemptions. 
um, as you say, we may not like some of the decisions, but hey, I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt here early on and say it's refreshing that we're getting some transparency and honesty. Um, it was fascinating to me how the hearing itself seemed to be dominated by uh, the small refinery exemptions, whether EPA would reallocate those waived gallons, as, as we and others have asked them to, and what the agency intends to do about the president's promises on E15. I, I think the senators did a nice job of really teeing up those priority issues. Okay, let's get into some of that. Let's start with the reallocation issue. Wheeler seemed to indicate, even if he thought it needed to be done, he seemed to indicate he didn't know if he had the authority to do it or not. He did indicate that, and he actually sent a letter to Senator Grassley yesterday, which was shared with me, where Wheeler and his um, deputy, Bill Weirum, go into a little more detail, and they say part of the challenge is EPA under Pruitt issued these exemptions retroactively after the renewable volume obligations were set for a given year, and they don't know if they can go back and, and reallocate those. We think they can. I think what I'm um, pleased to see is that EPA's letter to Grassley says they are having discussions about maybe projecting how much they would exempt during the the RVO rulemaking process and reallocate those volumes in the final rule. That would be one way to correct this. Um, it gets into the weeds, but but it's refreshing that from Wheeler we're starting to see um, maybe a little activity toward the, the reallocation uh, issue. And then on the E15 sales year-round, uh, when we hear what President Trump said recently, and then we hear what uh, Andrew Wheeler says. It sounds like uh, they look at it differently. I mean, Wheeler's comments not nearly as optimistic as, as President Trump's on getting this done right away. Yeah, yeah. While, while I'm going to pat him on the back for looking into reallocation, I'm I've got an axe to grind against um, Andy Wheeler about his attitude on E15 year round. As you said, given that the president as as recently as a week ago or so in Dubuque, Iowa, again said, we're, going, we're, we're planning to do this, I'm very close, was his quote, and Wheeler seems to think that E15 year-round needs to be some sort of a horse trade um, with the refiners getting yet another political victory uh, in some way, and, and that just seems ridiculous to us, and, and we're hopeful that Wheeler will will see the light and, and make good on the president's promise. He also said, some people don't think we have the legal authority to allow E15 year-round. And that was disappointing to me, Mike, because I can tell you when, gosh, a guy I complained about a lot, Scott Pruitt, was in South Dakota meeting with ACE members, in Kansas meeting with an ACE member ethanol plant. He told farmers and ethanol producers hey, EPA has the legal authority to do this. I'm just not going to move forward because I want to tie it to a refiner win. So we know they have the authority. We need Andy Wheeler to make good on the president's promise. I saw this question raised, and I thought it was an interesting one. Um, if EPA 
kind of goes along the same route they have been and keeps granting these waivers and we don't get reallocation and, and even if don't get E15 sales year round and the president keeps talking about his support for renewable fuels, can you have both? I mean, the president supporting renewable fuels, but not through his own agency, EPA, support the RFS? No, you cannot have both. Um, Ultimately, someone is going to prevail here. Either the president's promises will ultimately prevail or some of the obstruction that we unfortunately have found at EPA will prevail. And and where this will come home to roost, likely, Mike, is is politically at the ballot box. And probably the first opportunity voters are going to get to sort of um, weigh in on this will be in the midterm elections this November. And and I'm not advocating for or against any candidates, but I, I guess in answering your question, I think when you get mixed signals from the White House and EPA on, on where they are on biofuel policy and knowing how important biofuel policy is to rural America. Um, I think if the administration continues to send mixed signals, they may not like um, some of the messages that voters send back to them come November. And of course, there's still the legal action, too. Uh, that takes longer. It sure does. We do have one. Um, good thing that happened recently, and that was the Tenth uh, Circuit, which is based in Denver, uh, gave the green light for our lawsuit with RFA and the corn growers and Farmers Union and others to go forward, where we have challenged three very specific small refinery exemptions that we think are um, particularly outrageous. And so that will definitely move forward. Um, and then we have another legal petition that's sort of sitting at the doorstep of the D.C. Circuit regarding the reallocation issue, which you and I talked about, trying to make sure that the remaining refiners are using enough ethanol and biodiesel to, to fulfill the statutory volumes. And, you know, we're waiting to sort of pull the trigger on that, but that's another opportunity that we could have to uh, challenge these issues legally. We're talking with Brian Jennings, CEO of the American Coalition for Ethanol. Now, the EPA, along with the Department of Transportation's National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, has announced proposed amendments to current fuel economy and emission standards for cars and light trucks for model years 2021 through 2026. Uh, what's the significance of this, uh, Brian, and what could it mean for renewable fuels? Well, you and I have talked about this issue before, and it's a very big deal. And for us, the issue comes down to a role, a, p- a potential role, I should say, for high-octane fuel comprised of considerably more ethanol than, than is on the market today, maybe 25% blends or even 30% blends, being available to help the automakers um, maintain the fuel economy targets that they are required to meet and simultaneously reduce greenhouse gases. Now, the rule rolled out today by EPA and DOT actually proposes to relax those standards between 2021 and 2026, but it also has some very good information in there about the role for high-octane fuel EPA goes so far as to mention an E30 blend 
Um, and so we're looking at that as a, as a potential opportunity for E25, E30 to be approved by EPA in a way that automakers can begin to certify their cars on these blends um, and we can get more market access out there. And so it's good for market access for farmers and ethanol producers. It's good for reducing greenhouse gas emissions, tailpipe emissions from the cars. And these turbocharged engines that would require these higher octane fuels, they run very efficiently on these mid-level ethanol blends. And so, so it's good for, for engine efficiency as well. So this offers some hope here. Uh, the significance in, in this announcement is that EPA up to now really uh, wouldn't even talk about fuel uh, as a way to address the issue. Now they're, they're willing to put it on the table for discussion, it sounds like. That's precisely right. It, it does offer some hope. And under the Obama administration, the rules that they would roll out would require the automakers to lighten up the weight of their cars, um, to, to make tweaks here and there to, to the engineering of the vehicles. But they never addressed the issue of fuel, which was the 800-pound gorilla. Now, thankfully, we have an administration that understands if you're going to reduce tailpipe emissions and increase the efficiency of engines, you've got to grapple with the issue of fuel, and you need a better quality fuel, a higher octane fuel, uh, in order to do that than what is available today. And that's where ethanol, as affordable as it is, as high octane as it is, it really is an opportunity to be a game changer. As you said before, kind of along the theme of mixed signals from this administration when it comes to renewable fuels. It really is. And, you know, it, it, it sometimes it's hard to keep your head on straight because you've got things coming at you from all directions. But, you know, we're going to try to make the best of this octane opportunity while making sure that we're holding the administration accountable for, for following the rule of law on the RFS and making good on, on the president's promises about E15. It's, it's really all we can do, Mike. Yeah, it uh, it sometimes it's mind-boggling. You try to get your mind around all this, and I know it keeps you busy. Brian, thanks for the update. Thanks, Mike. Take care. Brian Jennings, CEO of the American Coalition for Ethanol. Just so much going on with the renewable fuels, and as we said, it you get all these mixed signals from the administration. All right, coming up next, uh, an amendment was defeated in the Senate yesterday. And the dairy industry is very happy it was defeated. We'll talk more about that and explain with Chris Galen, Senior Vice President Communications for the National Milk Producers Federation, next on Adams on Agriculture. Most of us like to be out in the sun. That's why sunscreen and other safety measures are key to protecting your skin from aging and cancer. The FDA recommends using a sunscreen with a sun protection factor, or SPF, of 15 or higher. Also, look for broad spectrum on the label. That means both harmful ultraviolet A and B rays are blocked. UVA rays age the skin, UVB rays burn, and both cause cancer. But the perfect sunscreen doesn't count if you use it wrong. Don't need sunscreen on a cloudy day? Wrong. 80% of UV rays still get through the haze. Only use sunscreen at the beach? Nope. 
Anytime you're outside, UV rays attack the skin, so you need protection. And you have to reapply sunscreen every two hours. Remember, SPF plus broad spectrum equal healthy fun in the sun. Visit www.fda.gov sunscreen for more information. A message from the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. Reason number 12 why you should own a Thermospas hot tub? They require no attachment to your home's plumbing. Thanks to the Thermospas unique built-in thermofiltration system that filters the water an incredible 144 times a day, you simply fill it with a garden hose and your water stays crystal clear with very little maintenance. Call to receive a free DVD and brochure and find out how you can own a Thermospas hot tub for only a few dollars a day. Right now, they're offering 0% APR financing with approved credit and a $1,000 savings coupon, including free delivery, free chemicals, and a cash discount. And with bottles starting at $4,995, there will never be a better time to own a Thermospas hot tub. So call now and ask about this limited time offer. Call Thermospas today at 800-991-5852 for your free DVD and brochure. That's 800-991-5852. Thermospas, hot tubs designed to improve your life. Call 800-991-5852 today to take advantage of 0% APR financing. Hello, I'm Mike Lindell, the inventor of my pillow. And like all of you out there, I had problems sleeping. Pillows would go flat. I would flip-flop all night long. I'd wake up with a sore neck or maybe a headache, or I'd feel like I needed a nap even though I slept eight hours. Well, when I invented my pillow, I wanted it so you could adjust the patented fill to give you the exact support you need as an individual, regardless of sleep position. My pillow will get you into that deep REM sleep faster, and you will stay there longer. It's not how much time we spend in bed. It's how much of that quality sleep we get. I do all my own manufacturing in my home state of Minnesota. Soda, a 10-year warranty, and you can wash and dry my pillow. And here's my best offer ever. That's right. Get 50% off the four-pack of two premium my pillows and two go-anywhere pillows. To order, go to mypillow.com or call 800-871-7280 and use promo code FARM11. Get 50% off the four-pack of two premium pillows and two go-anywhere pillows. Call 800-871-7280 or go to mypillow.com and use promo code FARM11. All right, crew, let's get her dug. Honey, you want to give me a hand? I'm planting that tree, remember? No matter how large or small your digging project may be, no matter how urban or rural, you must always call 811 before any digging project. 811 is our national one-call number, alerting your local utility companies to come out and mark any lines they have near your dig site. You must call 811 at least two to three business days before any digging project so you can avoid hitting our essential buried utilities. This includes natural gas and petroleum pipelines, electric, communication cables, and water and sewer lines. So before you do this or this, make sure you do this. For digging projects big or small, make the call to 811. Brought to you by Common Ground Alliance. Do you need a car? Been shopping only to be turned down because of bad credit, low credit, no credit, bankruptcy, or divorce? Guess what? Today's your lucky day. Because now you can buy a car, truck, or SUV, just about any vehicle. It's true. Bad credit doesn't matter. No credit doesn't matter. Bankruptcy or divorce, it just doesn't matter. As a matter of fact, your job is your ticket to your new vehicle. We're Auto Credit Express, and we've helped thousands of people just like you. 
Antonio H. told us, great company. Got me connected, and the day I went in, I drove off in the car I wanted. 100% worth your time. Need a car? Get started now and drive off as early as today. Just go to 11ignoremyscore.com right now. That's www.11ignoremyscore.com. Auto financing the easy way. 11ignoremyscore.com. Get started today. Auto financing the easy way. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. I was just thinking about how some of these stories we we cover, you know, they take so many twists and turns, and you think you've got something kind of taken care of, then all of a sudden something else comes up. We talked about the, the mixed signals the renewable fuels industry is dealing with coming out of the Trump administration. You know, the president says one thing, EPA says and does another thing. So it's it's a constant, uh, you know, uh, battle to, to work on these things. Well, kind of same thing going on with something in the dairy industry. Um, the dairy industry for years been trying to get FDA to enforce its rules on on the labeling of uh, dairy products, especially with the uh, uh, the growth of these plant-based, uh, these imitation products using the words dairy and milk in, in their uh, marketing and in their products. So FDA, after all these years, finally says, okay, yeah, we're going we're gonna to start taking this seriously and start doing something about it. Then along comes an amendment offered uh, by Senator Lee from Utah that basically would have stopped that, and but that has been defeated. That was defeated yesterday. And here to talk about it is Chris Galen, Senior Vice President Communications for the National Milk Producers Federation. Chris, I couldn't I couldn't get past the irony of after all this time, FDA finally ready to do something, then along comes a senator to try to stop them from doing it. Well, it shows you that there are some powerful forces who want the status quo to continue. And in this case, you've got the plant foods makers, and there are more of them every month with more products, it seems, just about every week, Mike. And they are finding common cause with uh, the vegan community, the animal rights community, and these people are very politically active, and they are working now with some allies in Congress to try to prevent FDA from moving forward on limiting the terms of the products that can call themselves milk. So we are just really happy that the Senate voted so resoundingly. The margin was 84 to 14, which is a very strong vote against this effort to limit the ability of FDA to enforce food labeling standards. And yes, some strong champions leading the way in that vote. Yeah, so the irony here is that the ones who are trying to uh, basically put up a roadblock to the FDA enforcing standards of identity were a uh, right-leaning senator from Utah and a left-leaning senator from New Jersey, and the counter-effort was led working with the dairy industry by a right-leaning senator from Idaho and then a left-leaning senator from Wisconsin, and that last person, Tammy Baldwin, of course, has been our sponsor of the Dairy Pride Act, and she saw this threat here in the Senate as a direct affront to what she's trying to do to make the FDA take action on these mislabeled fake dairy foods. So we're really excited here that she was able to work across the aisle and get a strong bipartisan statement that the FDA should be allowed to do its job. Okay, so now we move forward. Do we know yet how FDA plans to address this issue? 
Well, so move forward. <laughs> is a, a lot of that's in the eye of the beholder, Mike. Uh, we certainly would like to see the FDA take action starting this month. That's not likely to happen. There is going to be a public comment period for them to build out a, a docket of public feedback as to how they should regulate this. Uh, we don't think it's complicated. The law says milk comes from a cow. Therefore, if it's coming from plants, that ought to not be able to call itself milk. Uh, they're going to hear from others on the other side of the issue, though. And so that process is probably going to take another year or even more and, and might certainly involve litigation because, as, as I said at the outset, there are some powerful and deep-pocketed folks out there who really don't want to see the FDA change its posture right now. We're working to change it, but it's going to take time and it's going to take effort. All right. Talking with Chris Galen with the National Milk Producers Federation. Chris, I want to ask you about a trade issue. It sounds like the U.S. and Mexico are close to working out a deal. Uh, but, And we know the U.S. and EU have been talking. This is all kind of interconnected through a dairy issue, and that gets back to the geographical indications, the names of cheeses, and uh, a deal between the EU and Mexico. Explain for us how this is all interrelated here. Sure, sure. Well, obviously there's NAFTA talks going on, and we would like to see normal trade again with Mexico, our number one dairy export market. We need to hold Canada's feet to the fire against its very anti-competitive trade practices when it comes to dairy. But then the other thing you're mentioning, Mike, overlaid with all this, is that Mexico is also negotiating a free trade agreement with the European Union. And as part of that, and as frankly part of the EU's overall trade policy when it comes to agriculture, they are insisting that at least some of their cheeses can only be sold in Mexico um, using common cheese names, and, and those cheeses have to come from Europe. So in other words, if the U.S. wants to sell certain varieties of cheese, something like Gorgonzola or Feta or Asiago, in Mexico, our number one export market for cheese, the European Union is trying to head us off at the pass and say, hey, if you're going to call it Asiago, it can only come from Italy. It cannot come from Wisconsin or elsewhere in the U.S. So that's why a trade deal that we're not even part of is such a threat to U.S. exporters because we could be shut out of that market unless we change our name, uh, names of our cheeses. It shows, again, these things aren't done in a vacuum. I mean, you, two countries or trading blocks get together, and then all of a sudden it affects somebody else. I mean, it's a domino effect here. It, it is. And again, this is something where the EU and its other trade agreements with places like Korea has also um, taken the same approach. They see this as a way to really gain the upper hand and rule out competition, not just from the U.S., but some of these same cheese varieties are made elsewhere in the New World, in South America, in Australia, in New Zealand. And so everyone in those countries, including the U.S., has something at stake here in the trade deals that the EU is cutting separately with places like Mexico. Only have a minute left, Chris. What do you think about the strategy of getting a U.S.-Mexico deal done and then putting pressure on Canada to come in and get NAFTA done? Well, hopefully that if we are able to come to terms with Mexico on some of these other issues, you know, the automotive issues and rules of origin, those are the big sticking points with Mexico. And if we can move through all of those, uh, hopefully then Mexico will uh, remove its retaliatory tariffs 
uh, against the U.S. if the U.S. stands down as well, and then that allows us to focus on Canada and try to wrap up those things that are the sticking points with Canada, which, of course, for, from our perspective, it's Canada's ability to use its new pricing system for dairy to dump skim milk proteins and other dairy exports in world markets, uh, something that uh, completely contravenes the whole idea of freer trade. So we're, we're all in favor of taking the steps necessary to bring parties to the bargaining table and to get a deal negotiated. All right. Thanks, Chris, for the update. You're welcome. Chris Galen, Senior Vice President, Communications for the National Milk Producers Federation. Lots of issues to keep track of, and uh, we'll keep you informed right here on AOA. Join us tomorrow on Adams and Agriculture. Have a great day, everyone. <laughs>